Hello everyone, Happy New Year. I am Mark Jorgensen. I am the founder and host of the MarkCast. And for this podcast episode, I interviewed DJ Peterson. He is the founder of Longview Global Advisors. It's a political risk and uh, market uh, research firm that advises executives from multinational companies and investors all over the world. So he's essentially paid to be an expert on everything going on around the world. Uh, him and his uh, small team of partners. So um, for this uh, episode, we actually talked a bit about a recent publication they did, uh, which is a rarity. They're focused more on uh, bespoke or more specialized reports that's customized uh, and tailored to the needs of particular clients. But once in a while, they uh, publish reports uh, that are more broad. And so they recently published the 2016 Global CEO Agenda. So um, this is my discussion with DJ. We talked about a lot of topics um, about political risk and other things. So I hope you enjoy. And also, just wanted to let everyone know, the MarkCast is actually now on iTunes. So it happened last month. And if you just type in MarkCast, M-A-R-C-A-S-T, in iTunes, you can uh, listen to previous episodes. So check it out. So, so you're, you're, you're in Los Angeles, right? And you have uh, another person in Washington, Washington. D.C. Correct. Uh, my partner Mary Klein is based in Washington. And then, do you have any other people that are partners in the group, or is it just you two? It is the two of us. So, walk me through, or kind of introduce me and uh, the listeners to this podcast. You know, what are some of the main, uh, you know, things that you do at Longview Global Advisors. You know, what are the services you provide, and what are some of your clients, and uh, you know, why did you found this company, and and that that kind of thing. Right. Well, Longview does three things: global intelligence, thought leadership, and what we call executive positioning. And the first piece, uh, global intelligence, is really going out and getting information for clients. And typically our clients are corporate executives at the top level. They want an outside perspective um, or they want a, um, a fresh and objective perspective that isn't tied to, say, the day-to-day of doing business inside the company. So while many companies are multinational um, and they have people all over the world, they often, top-level executives, oftentimes want to hear an a, a third, independent third-party perspective to ground truth or, or add context to what they might hear coming up within the company. And do you so, present this to you know the board at the board level? Um, I mean, I know you write, you do reports periodically, but I mean, what is the main interface with you know these types of clients? Are you speaking with them person to person, or do you present to their research group? What's kind of it's a- typically it's directly with the top level executive. Um, they might get material from their research group as well, but um, they talk they they want to hear our perspective directly, um, and so we engage with, contract with um, the executives themselves and their offices. Okay. And how long have you been around about? Longview has been um, almost uh, January. Um, it's our, um, we've just <coughs> celebrated our third anniversary. 
Okay. And, um, you know, with every company, it seems a lot of companies that I've interviewed anyways, it's kind of, you know, they're born out of some kind of necessity or some kind of, you know, problem that the partners are trying to solve. Um, you know, how did Longview come about, you know, uh, on, on more of a personal level or with your, you know, with your partner? How did you guys, you know, how, how did this come to be? Right. Well, I've been doing corporate consulting for many years, first at the Rand Corporation and then at Eurasia Group. And um, having built the corporate um, uh, consulting practice at Eurasia Group um, into a fairly large business, um, it was then time for me to kind of move on and, and, um, and uh, create something for myself. Um, also, we felt that uh, there's a, um, a need, corporate clients have a, a, a need for information that's most relevant to them, that's um, tailored to them as opposed to, say, kind of publications-based. And so we wanted to move away from a, a publications-based business model and move more towards a 100% bespoke consulting and advisory model. So everything that we write, everything that we do is in, in response to a specific request from a client um, and we build teams to do that um, around those requests that are very highly um, tailored. So would that include this most recent report, which we're going to talk about here, where you kind of go through, it's an overview of everything going on in the world and kind of, kind of what your outlook for this whole year. Um, was that a general publication or was that something that a client actually requested you to put together? That is actually more of a... Um, that is that, that, an example of more like a, an article that we wanted to publish um, okay. for both our own kind of thought processes, taking the end of the year, um, the past year, or the beginning of a new year, and kind of doing a little stock taking on the issues that we saw going on around the world. That was more, say, of a, of a kind of a thought leadership piece, more of a marketing piece, um, something that we do you know, once or twice a year. Yeah, and I just want to get your general uh, view on this. So, I mean, there's a lot of political risk and research companies putting out a lot of general information out there. And mm -hmm. I'd, I'd argue that a lot of it is pretty good. Um, but maybe a lot of it is not, um, as you say, it's not really tailored to the needs of a specific company. So at the end of the day, it probably doesn't do much for a lot of companies that might read it. I mean, it might be useful if you're a company, you know, that that particular item, you know, applies to you. But for many companies, you know, they need something that's a little more specific to their needs. Um, so when you got into this business, you know, maybe 10 years ago, or you've kind of seen it progress, um, it seems like there was not as much good, you know, international information, not as much, uh, you know, news and media that followed globalization. Is it just the situation now we're in where a lot of political risk and other firms that are offering this information they're just, you know, kind of giving the same information or a lot of the information that people can find for free, you know, on Financial Times or on, you know, half a dozen other, you know, very uh, pretty reliable, more global media outlets. I mean, is that do you see that as a strong force? Kind of like just media has gotten much better at kind of understanding globalization and their reporting and coverage is much more effective now. So companies, you know, if they're going to hire someone like yourself or other companies, they need it to be very specific to their needs. Correct. I think um, I think you're you're tapping into a uh, a number of trends. One, I think the overall sophistication of the business community has increased significantly over the last ten to fifteen years. 
um, as companies have become more global, especially moving into, say, more uh, politically political risk-oriented markets, such as uh, emerging and frontier markets, uh, the journalists, um, the journalism profession has become a lot more sophisticated um, and have fallen, followed the markets and increased their capacity um, to cover, say, geopolitics and political risk. The field itself has advanced tremendously um, over the last 15 years, um, including the addition of you know technology, which is enabling crowdsourcing, for instance. Um, and then, of course, you've got just the technology platforms in themselves, which are just facilitating the distribution and access of information. So you can pull up so much at your fingertips. And do you... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the thing I would add, though, that is, like, as you noticed, it noted there is um, so much out there, Mark, and, um, you know, to the point that it's overwhelming. And so the, the, the you know, the, a first-level effort of, say, a, a business leader or a, um, a company is to compile information. But then you start, when you start compiling information, you get very, very long lists or very, very tall piles um, or lots and lots of data. Um, and so they need somebody. It's, it's, it's very valuable at the end of the day to have somebody to actually sift through that information and say, pay attention to this or, or, or don't pay attention to that. So I think there's a lot of intelligence out there. The real challenge of today is discernment. And, and regarding that, I mean, what is, if, if you were to kind of maybe put it in one or two categories, um, if possible, you know, what are clients usually asking you for specifically? You know, are they kind of asking you, you know, what's going to happen with, you know, this presidential leader in, you know, India or some country? Or are they asking you for more of the broader kind of, you know, what's, what's your outlook on, um, you know, the next year? You know, what do you think about this region? You know, what, what are they usually asking you for? It, it, it really it ranges, Mark. Um, like I said, you know, one of the most common things we do is global intelligence. So that can be as simple as getting some information or a point of view on, say, an individual or an event or an issue. Um, oftentimes, though, we, we go beyond that and we say, well, here are some issues to watch. Here are the questions to ask. So that when they are traveling or when they are speaking with um, their counterparts in other countries, they can actually ask smart questions. Not knowing the facts is a challenge, but actually being blindsided or not being able to ask smart questions is a great fear of um, or not knowing um, the basics um, or having an orientation is really kind of the, the, the greater fear of an executive. And so enabling them to um, focus on what are the most important issues to watch and questions to ask, rather than, say, predicting the future. I think predict, uh, some clients want, want a prediction um, right. in part because they want to hear how you think about it, not necessarily what the prediction is, but how you think through it and rationalize it. Right. Um, others do just want to call because they want to know whether to buy it because it's a buy or sell decision, for instance, or a go, no go decision. And so they just want your, 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 your fast flash opinion. Um, so that's another way that, um, they turn to us. Um, and, and, 
like I said, sometimes clients just, they, they say explicitly they want to be shaken up. Tell them something that, that they don't know. <laughs> um, give them something fresh to think yeah. about. Provide a new perspective. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to necessarily be definitive um, or a prediction or even right, but give them something to think about. Give them a way to frame an issue or, or um, uh, open their eyes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people just want to like check themselves against groupthink. You know, they just want to make sure they're not just hearing the echo chamber, you know, make sure they, you know, insanity check or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, we call it ground truthing. Ground truthing. There you go. A phrase from uh, kind of the satellite reconnaissance. Um, but it's, 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 it's validating or disproving oftentimes, you know, what they think. Very good. Um, this is very helpful. And uh, I guess we're going to get a little bit into this report. So um, you just published or will soon publish this report um, that goes out to um, CEOs and all your different clients, I assume. Right. And, it was right. just published on uh, January 7th in Brink, which is an online uh, risk pu publication. Excellent. And um, Let's just kind of talk about a few things in there um, that jumped out to me. So you state that there were in your report that there's a possibility, um, a fairly strong possibility, that an outsider uh, president uh, in the U.S. that will get an outsider U.S. A president. So someone who's not from the establishment. Um, in your thinking, I mean, are you assuming, you know, is that assuming Hillary Clinton becomes the Democratic nominee and then she might just you know, run into trouble, whoever she's against on the Republican side, or are you assuming outsiders on both sides? What's kind of your thinking on that in, in that statement you made? Right. I think we consider most of the leading candidates on the Republican side to be outsiders or non-establishment. Okay. Um, in, and, and so that suggests that um, – even if it, it, even if Hillary Clinton is a Democratic nominee, that she might lose the general election, and we put that out there again, not necessarily because we're predicting it, but that business leaders need to think, need to be thinking about different scenarios so that they're not surprised down the road. Um, you know. Uh, Business leaders can be captured by their own aspirations, their own or aspirations for a various political outcome, um, and it's important to consider that you might not win, or the candidate you think will win might not. And in this case, I think one of the surprising or one of the elements, consistent narratives, certainly over the last six months in the United States, has been certainly that the Republican race has confounded many, many predictions Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it isn't following a traditional playbook and that other factors are at play that are not typical and hard to predict. And so therefore, in that scenario, I think it's important at this point that business leaders think about the United, a United States with a, a, a different leadership structure, which also would have a very different policy guideline yeah and what, policy. what what do you think about that i mean what are some of the main i mean we can talking mostly about business implications here because that's kind of most fitting but i mean what are some of the things you would be most concerned about you know if an outsider became president you know what, what, what are the things at the top of the list in your opinion well i think you know in some ways a republican uh 
president obviously would fit, you know, many, uh, you know, would align, in theory, align with many kind of business leaders' objectives, such as, you know, one of the most uh, primary objectives or interests is, say, um, reforming, rationalizing, and simplifying the tax code. Um, sure, sure. And so in, in, in theory, that's a possibility. But none of the leading Republican candidates have outlined a tax plan. So it's very unclear what would come. So, so I think that's a prime example of just continued uncertainty um, in the U.S. political environment. And the reason I think one another reason why I think it's significant today is, is that the United States is, and as we saw with today's um, employment numbers, is actually doing rather well. It's not. Sure. It's not a five-star recovery. Um, but in terms of a global context, the U.S. actually looks very good sure. in relationship to the alternative. So the U.S. is a pretty good home or house in a not-so-good neighborhood. <laughs> now, when you add in policy uncertainty, there's been a lot, a lot of vitriol, say, the, the issues around immigrants, um, there's a lot of mudslinging in the campaign. There's a lot of talking down of the economy, talking about how bad things are. That undermines confidence in the U.S. economy. Um, and so we have we, we, in this environment where we have, say, a political future that's not clearly predictable, it undermines just business and consumer confidence overall. And then you just have a you have the overall noise, which is tending to. Uh, suggest that the country is divided, um, or highlight the fact that the country is divided and paralyzed. It just that just talks down confidence and potentially talks down the economy. Sure, I, I think I think you're. It's good. It's smart to piece those out. Uh, yeah, it, it's been definitely a very interesting election to watch. Um, I, I did a podcast about six months ago when we were talking about uh, the prospects for Jeb Bush and, uh, you know, the, the going notion in D.C. Um, by a lot of people, the common wisdom was he who has the most money will win the Republican nomination. And that has just proven to be so far from the truth in this election. Right, right. Now, I think it's important to look back to 2008 and the U.S. was in a somewhat similar circumstance in the sense that we were in the midst of the financial crisis and we had a very heated democratic campaign um, which which you know uh, did not necessarily play out by the books and then we had a re then we had the general election over the summer where you had two very different candidates, and so whoever won would take the country in a, in a potentially very different direction and so in the midst of this financial crisis, you had a very unclear policy and political future for the U.S. So, I mean, it's 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 part of our democratic system. But the key point is again is that here you have now a fairly good economy um, and one of the few strong economies and reliable economies in the world. But we're going through this very let's say, gut-wrenching um, political process, which just makes the United States, believe it or not, a source of 
a political risk and uncertainty. Right. I, I think definitely, um, yeah, yeah, for the longer term, I, I think some of these bigger trends, I mean, how they're going to play out is, is a little more interesting. I mean, because I think, as you say, in the shorter term, you know, it, it's not necessarily, it's still a pretty safe place to be. But the longer term, you know, some of these trends are playing out. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, right. Let's talk a little bit about um, Europe. So in your report, we, we touch a little bit on the Syria issue. Um, you don't say much is going on with Syria. I mean, you throw it out there in the report that like, look, this does draw some similarities and comparisons to World War One, you know, with the Balkans, where you have all these different, you know, Russia and the US and European nations are involved in Syria. But not a lot has happened there in the five or six years that that conflict has been going on. I mean, I mean it's been horrible, but um, business has kind of moved on around it, um, largely unhindered. Um, with one big exception is that once we've had hundreds of thousands of people you know, flooding into Europe uh, over the past year, um, that's causing a lot of stress. So um, some countries are suspending Schengen Agreement, which is the free travel between country to country in Europe, and that has obvious business implications. Um, there's only a handful of countries that have done it so far. I think it's just Hungary and Austria, uh, perhaps one or two others. Um, so I, I got two questions about that. So what are the other countries that you see possibly suspending Schengen, and about how soon do you think they would do that? And Angela Merkel, as Germany has taken on the most of the refugees coming from Syria, um, do you see her position? You know, is she in threat in 2016 um, from unpopularity uh, or anti-immigrant sentiment? Yeah. So, I, I, going back to your 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 statement, I think it's true about Syria. Just just to, to back up a little bit. Um, as as you know, as long as the Syrian civil war has been going on, we basically said it's not a business issue. Bus very few businesses were ever invested in Syria or the immediate region, and so clients aren't really call aren't calling up and asking about Syria. It, it was a it was a political issue, and of course, it's become a, a tremendous humanitarian humanitarian um, issue. Right. Uh, but it evolved into it's evolving into a business issue because. Of the humanity of the refugee crisis springing from it, and then the refugees flows into into Europe, and it's it's impacting potentially business and the economic future of of, of Europe in several ways. One is the their re erection of border controls in the Schengen area, as you've mentioned. Right. Uh, the second is just a slow slowdown in movement of goods and people. So you just have backups at the borders, which weren't there before, and that's a business cost. But it's also overwhelming the uh, the EU EU institutions and their ability to cope, and again undermining confidence that Europe has its act together. Um, and then and then you see the the rise of nationalist parties and nationalist forces all across Europe, which have been yeah, well, that's been that's, years, yeah, that's been brewing getting for, peaked right, by right. this crisis, right. um, which is really threatening, kind of the, the, to undermine, you know, cohesive support for the European integration prog project, and that is a big business issue. Um, to your question about Schengen, um, this past week, last week, we saw that um, Sweden and Denmark both. Um, instituted border checks. This was a historic step for those countries. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Border checks between their two countries. 
it's it's happening it's it's happening you know on a, on a piecemeal basis but it's happening in places you you wouldn't expect so i think it's it's significant if if europeans or or national leaders don't feel they can control their borders um that says a lot about the overall kind of security environment and really right. undermines confidence in in the EU project and, and in certainly uh, European Union governance. So, and then to, to get to your, 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 your point about your question about Angela Merkel, right. the, I think what's, you know, quite remarkable about uh, the, the, the German policy line is twofold. One is the scale. Germany is about 80 million people. That's the population of Germany, 80 million. And right. this year they've absorbed, one million. So that's, you know, I'm in the state of California. California is about half the size population wise of Germany. So that's adding a half a million people to the population in California, people who don't speak English, for instance, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, who really don't, you know, know the ways of doing business in a, in California, just dropping them into this state. And what we've seen, you know, already in, almost half the states as Republican governors saying they're not going to accept one refugee. So the fact that Germany has accepted a million and that this, that this acceptance has taken place as part of a national dialogue, and I think that's the second exceptional piece about Germany, is that Germany are really earnestly, Germans are really earnestly thinking and discussing this issue and really thinking through the implications and um, obviously dealing with the logistics of it all. So more so than most other countries in the world, it's actually a very considered process. That said, you know, and, and Angela Merkel has led the, has led uh, the policy on this. That said, you know, there's limits to, to um, support, and you're seeing it here and there. There was some violence in Cologne on New Year's Eve right, that right. was allegedly tied to immigrants. I saw that. Um, yeah. And it's things like that that just make people uneasy. And so the, I think, if, if, again, if you think back, um, you know, Angela Merkel is probably the linchpin of European integration and keeping Europe together. At the same time, her policies towards Greece have angered the Greeks and others. While she's become very strong in trying to hold together the European Union and and European institutions and driving European values, a perception of European values, she's actually fomenting opposition. So should she be forced from office? Again, is is not necessarily likely to happen, but it's a possibility. And in that case, Europe looks a lot different. Even, say, policy towards Russia and sanctions looks a lot different. She is the driver of sanctions policy um, and, and Western policy towards, towards, towards Moscow. And the, so, the, so Europe and, and the world, in many ways, could change without her in, in a leadership position. And if we think back to the analogy of Margaret Thatcher, she was strong and in power until she had a, she had a, a challenge within her own party and lost the party leadership and then was no longer prime minister, and it happened quite quickly. What's your opinion? So in the report, you talk about the emerging market inflows declining from 2014 to 2015. They went from $285 billion 
to $66 billion. So that's money going into emerging markets went from $285 billion to about $66 billion. You know, it's a pretty drastic decline. Um, where is that money going now? <laughs> and in 2016, you uh, envision that that will continue. And uh, will those trends, you know, wherever the money is going instead, is that going to continue in 2016? Or are there any new trends with uh, the flows of what, we, what we've seen this week is it's certainly intensified tremendously. Um, you know, and I think that a big question for 2016 is do emerging markets hit the bottom or is the crisis going to continue to unfold and will there be new surprises? I think a good example of that question is uh, Brazil. There's a sense in Brazil that the the political crisis around the Petrobras and Electrobras corruption scandals has not fully played out and there will be more surprises. So that's still in the discovery phase. It's not in the recovery phase. And so that means that political uncertainty is going to remain extremely high. And until there's a sense that all the, um, let's just say, you know, major dirty news or stories of bad news is, is, have, have, been, have been shaken out, that it's really hard to kind of say, see Brazil on a recovery path. Also, there's nobody in the wings. There's no outside leader. There's no political, potential political leader that's, that's appeared to serve as an alternative that can, say, clean the mess up very quickly. So Another question is is regarding Russia. Has Russia hit bottom in, in this past year? Russia's economy domestically was, uh, from a domestic from a ruble perspective, was the best e- um, performing market, um, stock market in the world last year. In part because it was recovering from a very very hard hit in in 2014. So the question is, you know, has is has the Russia story played out? Has it hit bottom, and is it going to be rebounding? Again, if you look at oil prices this week, which have continued to fall and are now in the low 30s, suggests that Russia is going to continue to take more hits. But that might mean it's a buying opportunity. The currency is a lot weaker um, as a result. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these markets, again, if you look at Brazil, Brazil is down by almost 50% in dollar terms. It's equity markets. So, Assets in, in, in Brazil are effective for Americans are effectively half price. Does that make it a buying opportunity now? Or do these other markets, um, is it a buying opportunity? Or is the crisis going to deepen? And that's, I think, the big question for 2016 for emerging markets. Yeah, I think regarding Brazil, you know, Dilma Rousseff, the, the president of Brazil, I mean, she still has several years in at her term as well. And so, and she's, you know, the least popular president they've had you know, in decades. So I think just, you know, the fact that there's no replacement for her and they have a few more years of her is kind of a, a very depressing thought for in this whole process. Um, and then regarding Russia, I think one of the strongest indicators of just how um, poorly the ruble, just how much has been devalued. If you look at flights um, on the flag carrier Aeroloft, if you search on flights, you can get almost anywhere uh, in Europe or in Asia for about $500 round trip um, connecting through Moscow on Aeroflot. I think that's... Yeah, yeah no, it's... Um, <laughs> yes, you, it, Russia used to be one of the most expensive markets, um, you know, safe to do business in, whether it was hotels or transportation or any kind of Western amenities. 
Um, it's it's basically you know apartments and so forth. It's uh, it's it's a bargain right now for uh, people with dollars. Right. Um, so just a couple more questions just to wrap up here. Um, kind of a, a quick question or, or uh, wherever you want to go with it is, um, so you started your career um, as something of a Russia expert, right? That's kind of how you correct you did. You, so you researched that as a, as a PhD. Um, if you were to pick a region of the world now, um, a region that you find interesting as well as having business opportunities, you know, for the next, you know, couple decades or something, um, what would it be? China, China, China. Okay. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Um, and so what would be, or what has been the most useful tool in your experience for just getting a grasp on what's going on in the world? You know, what do you read or what do you do? Or is there some kind of, you know, method of, of gathering information that's reliable to kind of form your view of what's going on in the world? That's a great question, Mark. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's several things. I like to read and I have certain resources that I like to go to. Um, I have certain friends or people that I know that I respect their opinion in different parts of the world and I'll ping them and ask them what they're seeing. Um, in many cases, it's not people who will agree with me, but I, I think it's really important to get um, – other views, contrary views, so that you don't suffer uh, confirmation bias. I think you know one of the pitfalls of, of junior researchers is is that they you know or, or people in general is that they look for information that confirms their point of view. And again, you want to be shaken up. You want to be. You want to have your hypotheses challenged or tested. Um, and so I have some good friends or people that I know that I'll run ideas by and see how they challenge them. Um, and uh, so I think that's very important. I think um, it's, it's uh, important also to just gather personal um, information. I mean, just walking around, talking to people um, to gather perspectives. You know, uh, you know it's a proverbial cab drivers. Uh, you know, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's the mood? Um, so, you know, and of course, and there's just data, there's just a lot of data out there and, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, we use a series of data, whether it's world bank data or IMF data, we rely on it. It's, 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 it might not be perfect, but it's, it's, it's typically consistent across years and across countries. And so I think it's important to identify a few key data sets, um, to refer to and, and use those, um, whether it's economic data or social data, polling data, for instance, um, uh, you know, reading reading newspapers in the local uh, in in the in, in local countries. I think, you know, one of the things that as a, as a a company that serves global businesses, it's very important not to be biased by say. An American perspective right. or a Washingtonian perspective, right. especially if you're dealing with Europeans, um, they get enough Americana and enough Washingtonia that they really get it. It, it, it actually can be a um, a liability. It's very important to have a global perspective. So, you know, we often talk about you know as a, as a, as a former 
Russia scholar, you know, even today, I still talk about Russia oftentimes from the perspective of Russians, uh, because I think it's really important to understand that they see the world a lot differently than we do. Um, they see what's going on right now, whether it's, uh, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Syria, much differently than we do. And it's really important to understand that perspective and be able to convey it to others as well. Yeah, I've almost found, and I don't know if you've seen this, but kind of forming an international perspective on things, um, more important than having lived in other countries or worked in other countries. I think that's important. But how much have people, you kind of had friends who are from other countries, you know, close friends and associates who you've learned from and really kind of glean those insights. You know, whether you've spent a lot of time living abroad in other countries or not, I think that seems to be the, a, a much stronger predictor because, you know, that's more indicative of actually like taking on those other opinions and kind of really understanding the perspective rather than just physically, you know, living in another country because you can right. be living in another country, but do you really absorb what's going on? You know, that's two different things, I think. So, yeah, it's a good point. So, um, I just one little last quick question. Um, as far as clients, um, with Longview advisors, what, you know, how do you go about finding clients? Do you advertise? Is it word of mouth? I mean, what, what's kind of the, the combination? It's really, um, it's it's really word of mouth. We're very small. Um, like I said, we don't publish very much, um, so we don't. You won't see us in the media. It's it's advertising that is, isn't really relevant in this case. In, in 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 you know. So it's really about word of mouth. It's about referrals. It's about networking, um, and it's about forging relationships. Uh, because what we do at the end of the day is really about a trusted relationship that a client will pick up the phone and give you a call and that then you'll be able to provide a reasonable answer um, and a useful answer in a, um, in a way that they can, they, they, that they value and appreciate. And so it's, it's, it, it's, but you can only really do that, I think, through developing relationships and getting to understanding getting to understand your clients very well and, and, and what they need. So it's, it's, it's very much a kind of. A All right, DJ. Um, it's been wonderful speaking with you. And uh, that report is available. Um, can people access that on, they can go to Brinks or the Brink. Yes. B R I N K. Okay. And uh, they can force a online. and they can find you on the web um, at uh, longviewglobal.com. Longviewglobal.com. Okay, well, thanks for your time today. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Uh, that's our show for this week. I had a great time talking with DJ. I think we covered a lot of ground. We went all around the world, and uh, I had a great time. Uh, once again, if you're interested in learning more about what DJ does, you can find him very easily online. It's uh, Longview Global Advisors. Just Google that, and uh, you'll find him very easily. Uh, also, I just want to remind you very quickly uh, the MarkCast is actually on iTunes now, so you can check out the episodes on there. Just type in MarkCast, M-A-R-C-A-S-T, and uh, you can type that in iTunes and find all the episodes there. So very happy to be on there now. So thanks, everyone. Have a great week.